We must keep America first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. And we must always keep faith in America's destiny. He said one day And now, with an unapologetic dose of uncommon common sense, an unvarnished opinion that is undeniably unique, uncovering the truth with undeterred tenacity, unbound, unbroken, it's Rose Unplugged. What timing. He's an award-winning investigative journalist who's currently an executive vice president at The Hill. He's been with us now. He's been on for, oh gosh, ever since he hit the ground running. And it was all about this stuff that we're going to talk about today. He's been amazing. Former chief creative officer at Circa News, as well as a former editor-in-chief at the Washington Times. He is with TheHill.com right now. Please welcome back to the show, John Solomon. John, how are you? Happy Monday. Oh, it really is a happy Monday, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Pretty remarkable uh, weekend, for sure. It has been. I mean, we're talking, and we mentioned this before, over two years, $25 million in taxpayer money, and yeah. this Mueller report reproves what our president has been saying since day one. There's no collusion. There's no obstruction. It's a witch hunt. And the Democrats worked with the fake news for two years, John, to orchestrate this. Listen to what uh, Dershowitz had to say real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. Thank you. Hold on. Here's but it's important that we did learn there are no sealed indictments, that there's no recommendation in the report for any further indictments. And so this is not what many people feared, just shifting it over to the Southern District and saying, we're not going to indict this guy, but maybe you should. That was done with the Attorney General as far as the... Uh, obstruction of justice, but he didn't do it with the Southern District. So, look, this is a good day for the president. It's a very, very bad day for CNN. It is a very, very bad day for CNN and the rest of the fake news. I mean, my goodness, and they all look so disappointed. You know, there were days uh, early on where I had good sources and I knew what was going on, and I would see these front-page stories of the New York Times and the Washington Post and on CNN, and I knew them to be fake. Everything from the Alpha Bank server that was allegedly secretly communicating to the president's uh, computer servers to one story that led the New York Times that said that senior Trump campaign officials had met with senior Russian intelligence officials. When you look back now, I think the biggest loser in this uh, will be the news media yes. for their breathless and irresponsible and uh, erroneous reporting. Uh, uh, more than anything, it was the fact that these stories were wrong from the beginning. And, you know, I would talk to my sources like, that doesn't exist. And I said, well, how could it be on the front page of the New York Times? <laughs> and um, it, it's just remarkable. And I think that uh, there's a moment of introspection that my profession needs to have if we're going to learn any lessons from what happened here. It doesn't sound like they will have. I don't. I, I believe they're going to be able to spin this to their advantage, as they, as they always do. I, the American people, however, I think are smarter than that, and they're yeah. not going to buy it. But here's the thing that gets me, though. Um, uh, uh, Paul Sperry had tweeted over the weekend, and he's right. He said he asked the question: Did the Trump Russia collusion hoax improperly influence the 2018 congressional midterm elections? Because you know, John, if you remember, the exit polls were showing that. Right. of voters believe the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia. So, you know, here we have an election. We had an actual election that may have been unduly uh, influenced because of this investigation, which was a witch hunt in the end. 
the consequences of this two-year investigation. Let's go through some of them. Some of them are very personal, right? There are millions upon millions of dollars that people have had to pay in legal bills to defend yes. themselves from this. People who don't make that sort of salaries. No one's going to feel sorry for Donald Trump. He's a billionaire. And so no one's going to, you know, but there are just everyday people who, who had to get lawyers and, and undergo interrogation for what was a, a, a political dirty trick. And I think that's one of the losers. You, you do have to wonder what happens with the 2018 uh, election and would it have been different with a roaring economy and no scandal? Right. Would, would, would the outcome have been remarkably different? I think that's something we'll never know, but we'll wonder. I'm telling you, I think we're going to go back to 2016. I don't think 2016 is over. I believe the boomerang of this story is going to be Hillary Clinton's coordination or uh, contacts uh, uh, with uh, Ukraine. I think that we are beginning to see some really significant evidence that uh, a foreign power, Ukraine, sought to help Mrs. Clinton in this election by digging up some of this erroneous dirt on President Trump. And I think when this is all done, this is going to go back to 2016, but it's going to be the flip of what we all thought it was when we began. Well, you know, and that's interesting, too, because um, Ari Fleischer was uh, talking along those same lines. He said that now that Mueller says there's no collusion, he suggests it's time to scrutinize the Obama administration because they spied on a U.S. campaign, wiretapped Americans, they bid on that dossier and, 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 and poor Flynn. And so what did Barack Obama know? He said, and what and when did he authorize it? Do you agree with that, those things? I think every person that was complicit in the creation and sustainment of the uh, FISA warrants, which was really the way that they could look at the uh, spy on the Trump campaign, mm -hmm. every person that was involved that needs to be scrutinized because there is false information in that FISA. There is evidence of innocence that was kept from that FISA. And uh, there, there was a knowing and willful effort to defraud or deceive the court who approved that. And I think that the oversight has to come from three areas. Congress, certainly in the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, with, uh, with the new chairman there, Lindsey Graham. Uh, the <laughs> Inspector General, which I expect will release his report this summer, and I think there will be a roadmap for potential prosecution there. And then the third is the FISA court itself. At some point, those judges have to stand up and say, what happened here and why did we get such bad information? And if those things happen, I think justice will be served. There will be people who could be prosecuted. But the temptation to do this in the future will be much less if we, if we hold people accountable oh, now. Agreed. But do you think, do you really think it could happen if, if these things? I do. Oh, my gosh. I hope you're right. You know, you brought up Lindsey Graham. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I've got paper all over the place here. Um, <laughs> That's all right. Thank you. Uh, James Comey tweeted, so many questions. And then Lindsey Graham retweeted that with a tweet of his own. He said, could not agree more. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I do think those, uh, some of the characters that were at the front end of this, uh, of this alleged scandal will, will be back before Congress to face very hard questions. And I think those questions come down to, you knew uh, Christopher Steele had dubious credentials on this. He was talking about wanting to defeat Trump. His sourcing was considered biased and also uh, had not been verified, and yet you used it to submit it as evidence to a court to spy on your rival campaign. That is such a serious question. It's such abuse of power. And I think all of those people, McCabe, Comey, and uh, Stroke, and Page, and Baker, and all the people who played a role in this, Rod Rosenstein, and signing the fourth one, we, yes. have to, we have to hear from them, and they have to be confronted with the real evidence, not the evidence that they allowed the American people to be dragged around with for two years, but the real evidence of what went on behind the scenes. And when that gets exposed, when the president declassifies those documents and we see how bad 
the work uh, and the intelligence tradecraft was on this particular uh, case, I think there's going to be a good case for uh, uh, serious accountability, perhaps some prosecutions. So what is your opinion to, okay, so for example, within the report that we know of, it says that no American uh, colluded with Russia to influence the election. It it said it three times, no American. Why do you think uh, three times? Why are... Why are they really pushing this? Are they going to suggest that no one here in this country has ever colluded with uh, Russia to influence an election? Yeah, I, I listen. It was the seminal question, right? It was the reason why we had a special counsel. And I think the clarity in the report is, is warranted, given all of the doubt that the media sowed upon the president and upon people like Carter Page. I mean, think about Carter Page. This, this man's name was dragged through the mud. Mm. Uh, this after he helped the FBI make an earlier criminal case against Russia. And he, uh, he's probably spent a, a lot of money on, on legal bills. And we now know, because he's an American, he could not have colluded with, with Russia uh, uh, because of that's the final findings. I think it's important to hear that a few times because we heard the opposite for two and a half years. And it's just beginning to sink in to the American public how big a ruse, how big a dirty political trick this was. And uh, if they said it 100 times in the report, it probably wouldn't be enough for the, for the people that were aggrieved or, or okay. whose reputations were ruined. When, when Rosenstein and Barr both decided that this doesn't rise to, to obstruction of justice, does, right. does it surprise? I mean, like we just you just talked about uh, Rod Rosenstein and how he, he signed the fourth one. Does he does this surprise you in any way? I mean, maybe it's good. I know that my partner here on the radio suggested it was a good thing that Rod Rosenstein stayed on and Trump didn't get rid of him. But does it? I mean, this is odd to me. Not just a little. Interesting I, that Rod Rosenstein yeah. and Bob uh, and Barr both decided. I, I can't talk about the legal part of it because I'm not a lawyer, but I will say this from a, a layman's perspective, looking at this, Rod Rosenstein probably shouldn't have been involved in the final decision to prosecute or mm. not prosecute okay. because he's a witness to all that went on. He's the guy that's talking about the 25th Amendment and, and removing him. He's the guy that authorizes the obstruction probe. Uh, on the grounds that Comey was fired, when in fact he wrote the memo justifying Comey's firing. Um, I think he's a remarkably conflicted character who at some point in this investigation would have better served the country by stepping aside and letting an independent person who wasn't on both sides of this fence. I mean, if you're President Trump, you're scratching your head. He gave me a memo and said, fire James Comey. Then he started an obstruction investigation for me firing James Comey. It had to be bewildering to the president to see a person on both sides of that fence. And when we look at what McCabe and Stroke said was going on during that time frame, uh, you have to wonder whether Rod Rosenstein was having it one way with the FBI and Justice Department. Uh, oh, my God, we got to look at obstruction and then telling the president, oh, it's okay to fire Comey. I think he's a conflicted character. And at the end of the day, whether he signed off or not, on, I think the most important person is the new attorney general who comes in with a clean slate, none of this baggage. He's looked at it with fresh eyes, and I think Bill Barr's assessment is perhaps the most important in, in the letter to, uh, yesterday. And already the Democrats are criticizing and say he's not elected, and, you know, um, there, there's a lot of criticism now in Barr. And, you know, it's interesting because they, they, they quickly—they're not— I don't think they're as convincing as they might have been to so many people, because as I mentioned earlier, 49 percent of the uh, the voters at the time of the midterm election believed that there was collusion and that Trump yeah. did collude. But I don't know how well they can spin this now, but they have made every effort to do so. Um, a lot of people, even 
that little Alyssa Milano, who I don't even you know know what why she thinks she should be weighing in on all of this, but she said if nothing in the report, why not just release it? They really don't understand either that or they do understand and they found this to be a really good talking point because um, they want the entire report released, and we know and they know, I believe, that it cannot be right. Yeah, I, in in the tradecraft of, of political warfare, not necessarily intelligence warfare, but political warfare. There's a thing called uh, delusion um, distraction, and I think at some point when you lose your your game, you try to continue to create an aura of something else that's going on, yes. and you try to uh, uh, keep the conversation going, suggesting there's always more. And you know, you could always say there's something more, and people, some a certain percentage will believe it. I think the vast majority of Americans are going. They, they said in our polls at the Hill. They trusted Bob Mueller's conclusions. I think the vast majority of Americans are going to go back to work. They're not going to be thinking about this anymore. And any effort to inject this or put this in front of them is only going to frustrate them and, and make them more uh, angry. Uh, they, want, they want to talk about jobs and health care and family and all the things that dominate our lives every day and not about some bogus Russian uh, scandal that really didn't exist. Wow, that's interesting. You know, on Friday you had on in the Hill – uh, you, you had a piece called The Wisdom of Trump's Lawyers and the Accountability that Must Follow Mueller's Report. I think it's important maybe that we mention a few of these things. You you wanted the record to reflect four takeaways, instant takeaways from the report. Yeah. 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 Well, first should. and most importantly uh, is that there was no collusion. Right? That's right. the most important uh, thing. There were no further indictments. There's no more criminality. Uh, everyone who committed a crime has been prosecuted, and none of them are Donald Trump, his family, or his inner circle. Um, and then I think that, you know, as we look through and, and examine, and remember, Friday, I didn't have the benefit of the letters. So exactly. We know a lot more now. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I, I do think of one of the things I think was the most important untold story in this was we saw early on people like George Papadopoulos and Mike Flynn mm. fall into the perjury trap because they were interviewed uh, by the FBI, probably not with any preparation, and minor statements they made end up becoming criminal cases against them. Uh, one of the most important decisions I think that was made in keeping the president out of trouble was the persistence of Jay Sekulow and Rudy Giuliani and Mike Bowe and the other great lawyers he had, that you're not going to go in front of this grand jury. You're not going to give an interview to the uh, prosecutors. We'll answer written questions. We'll give them every document they ever desired. But you're not going to get caught in one of those gotcha games. And I think at the end of the day, if that was not an easy task because the president likes to fight and he likes to talk and he likes to take on his detractors. But I think from a legal perspective that highly insulated the president from the sort of uh, uh, things that not only befell people like Papadopoulos and Flynn, but let's go back to Bill Clinton in 19, uh, their mid-1990s when he gave the Paula Jones deposition. That's what got him in legal trouble. And I think in this case here, it was a wise decision that made a lot of um, yes. a lot of sense. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It really is. You know, but they still talk about there possibly being legal trouble for the president. And then they um, point to the Southern District of New York. I mean, what what are you what what are your uh, thoughts on that? You know, there is going to be some prosecutions there. Uh, Some of them are unrelated to anything that we've been talking about. There is a scandal involving the Malaysian prime minister and other foreign governments called one MBD. And I, I think you saw just last week the raid of a home of one of the president's chief fundraisers, a guy named Brody, and uh, and uh, we know that there's a senior Justice Department official that right around Thanksgiving was indicted. 
I think there will be some pay-to-play prosecutions of people who tried to cash in on the president. Michael Cohen is clearly one of them. We know from the body of evidence that was out there, he was looking to score some big money with his access to the president. And that'll get cleaned up. I think it's a reflection of the early Trump White House. He had a weak chief of staff and Ryan uh, Priebus. And there might have been some things going on uh, where people were trying to use money to gain access. At the end of the day, I don't think any of it's going to touch the president. Uh, or even his inner circle. But right. I do think there will be some unscrupulous people who uh, are indicted for various crimes that we always see in the, in the political culture, the swamp, as, as uh, President Trump likes to call it. <laughs> Mike Cohen, you mentioned uh, him, and he's sleazy, and what he did was wrong. When you look at Manafort and, uh, and of course, Flynn, but let's look at Manafort for just a moment. Sure. I, I mean, does he... Do you feel badly for him? Do you, you know, or did he get also what he deserved, as I believe Cohen did? You know, I think at the end of the day, the sentence he got is, is commensurate with the crime. I mean, it, he is the poster child for an entire industry that was trying to work for foreign governments to influence the United States without the sort of accountability and transparency that the law required. If he had done all these things above board and he had uh, accounted for his money, uh, which he needs to do, and if he filed those federal lobbying reports, Paul Manafort would not be in prison. He would not be the poster child. But there's an entire industry, and I don't think he's the last to fall on this. I believe you will see some other big names in the next few months also be indicted or reach plea agreements for this type of uh, prohibited lobbying. The the reason we have a a foreign lobbying law is so the American public can know when it's going on and the monies can be accounted for. And there was a lot of looseness, particularly during the Obama years, uh, where this law was not enforced and it was looked the other way. And I think at the end of the day, Manafort's prison sentence reflects what he did, but it's also a reflection of a much larger lobbying industry that didn't always follow the law. Yeah. You know, I have to say, uh, good work. You know, I I remember when you first came on the scene, and it was, you know, two years ago, a little over two years ago. And, John, you've done such great work. And and I I, I laugh sometimes when you're on with Hannity because he's either alluding to something you may have told him in confidence or, you know, uh, (laughs) the the information that you're getting, you know, um, exclusives. And uh, But you always have it. And you've done it in a very professional way. And you've been great, John. God bless you. Thank you, Rose. That means a lot to me. Well, you mean a lot to us. Thank you so much for your work. We appreciate you. All righty. Thanks. Take care, babe. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to the show. Hey, listen, uh, yesterday on MSNBC, they had live coverage of um, A.G. Barr's letter summarizing the special counsel Mueller's findings. And Representative Steve Cohen from Tennessee, he's a Democrat, obviously, once I start playing the soundbite, you'll know that yourself. Uh, he, He said it had very little credence and should be put in what Barr said, given he was appointed by President Donald Trump. Note all of the spins right now and their attempts at uh, new talking points. Uh, it's it's, um, it's almost pathetic. It really is. But anyway, listen to what this guy had to say. It's amazing. Take a listen. Well, I think Ari and, and Neil did a good analysis. The fact is what is in this letter to us said, first, Mueller was not making a traditional prosecutorial judgment. Those are very interesting words. And then said, as you've well said, he did not draw a conclusion one way or the other on obstruction, does not draw that conclusion. It also does not exonerate the president. And when Rudy says it's better than expected, they must have been expecting worse. The fact is the Judiciary Committee is the elected 
people's house. Bill Barr was not elected by anybody. Trump, when he was attacking Mueller, said he wasn't elected by anybody. Well, Bill Barr wasn't elected by anybody, nor was Rod Rosenstein. The Congress is elected. We need to see all of the information there to make a conclusion, to get information, to let the public make a decision on whether there was obstruction of justice to protect the Trump administration and Trump team from being involved and cited for collusion with the Russians. They said there was no collusion, but there was obstruction, and that's important. Oh, these guys. Good luck. Good luck with all that. No, Adam Schiff is saying that they might have to subpoena Mueller. I thought they loved Mueller. I thought they loved him. They had so much respect for him. And I'm proud to be an American. It's time to remember what our brave soldiers never forgot. American share, one flag, one home, and one glorious destiny. Fellow Americans, you're listening to Rose Unplugged. One of my favorite people is now in the country. She's a doll. She really is. And she's very bold and outspoken, but she's right about everything she says. She's an award-winning documentary maker, columnist for national newspapers, radio talk show host, and a best-selling author. Her documentary is Homelands. I watched some of it um, over the weekend, and we will post it on our social media, but you can check it out at her website, rebelworld.co.uk. Katie Hopkins, welcome to America. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I love it when you introduce me. You're like, oh, she's right about everything. And all I can hear (laughs) is my father's voice in my ear. He's 72 going, no, she really isn't Rose. She's (laughs) wrong about a lot of things. My father would not agree with you at all. Oh, no. He is checked very nicely. That's hilarious. Well, I'm glad that he's still alive, to, even if it is, you know, you're on the receiving end of some jibes, right? Thank God he's got I know. You've I'm got so him. lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm so lucky. We just had actually um, uh, my mum's 70th. As I flew out here, we stopped in London as a family. Me and my two girls, my sister and her daughter and my mother, whose 70th it was. And we had tea, afternoon tea at Fortnum and Mason. And I, and I did sit there, Rose, honestly, and looked and just thought, oh, I need to hold on to this memory because I'm terrified, Uh, terrified of losing my parents, you know. And I think probably we all identify with that at different phases of our lives. We can. And, you know, I did lose my mother 30-some years ago. She died really young. And you never, my gosh, you never stop thinking about them. You never stop wishing they were here to enjoy, you know, milestones in your own life and your children's lives. So, yeah, I hear you, girl. I do. So, God has yeah. blessed you. Good. I'm glad that you're, you know, really enjoying every moment of it. So listen. Yeah, it's so important. It is that important. When we look at, I mean, first of all, you're in Texas, right? Yes, I am in the great state of Texas. <laughs> I feel very at home here. Do I you? love it here. I love the people. Yeah, I literally just cuddled. So I just ordered some. I'm at the airport in wherever I am, where my Dallas. I just cuddled the breakfast server because I'm just so happy to be here. I think he was a little bit shocked. But um, yeah, it's so thrilling to be in your, your brilliant state and your brilliant country. So did you just get in? Yes, yeah, so I flew in yesterday, and then I met some um, an individual because later on I'm going to go down to the border um, and check out what's going on at the border, go okay. and do some night patrols down there. But um, So I flew in, I think, yesterday, yes, yesterday, and then today I'm flying out to Midland, so uh, starting my little speaking tour over there. And um, 
I just feel that, you know, it's an exciting time to be in America, um, watching the Mueller investigation collapse around everyone's ears, watching the media be proved wrong yet again, watching CNN panelists <laughs> on their best confused face. It's sort of a delicious day to arrive, isn't it? It's like we're showering in the tears of liberals. Well, you know, it, it really is. It's, it was a delight this weekend, and it's very delightful to watch CNN and the rest of them with their long faces. And I have to tell you, though, Paul Sperry, who is a political commentary, tweeted this over the weekend, and he's so right. He said, did the Trump-Russia collusion hoax improperly influence the 2018 congressional midterm elections? Because at the time, the exit polls were showing that 49 percent, Katie, of the voters, that's almost half, believe that the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia during the 2016 election. So you're Sarah, it's such a great tweet and such a great point, because, of course, we forget sometimes the impact, the real impact of the lies that we're told by the media have. And I was out here for the midterms. I was in California campaigning, which I know is a bit like, you know, throwing money down a well. But I was just doing that because I felt impassioned to do so. And you're so right. And I think what it means for me, you, other Trump supporters is that 2020 could be fantastic because I think we're going to see a real pushback against the mistakes made in those midterms, the mistakes of Ilhan, the mistakes of uh, Rashida and the new entrance, and we're going to see a real turnaround. And, and I think that's a dynamic that feels so positive in this country right now. Yeah, it does. And I am resentful. I mean, because if we're going to talk about anything that worked against our elections, it was the Democrats, uh, the media, the left, uh, really interfering with the midterm election. And that really bothers me. But you know what? I mean, now that this is over, and I think that for the most part, American people now understand that there was no collusion. We can move forward. And I think Donald Trump will do quite well. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, Theresa May. Um, Yes, <laughs> two on the phone together or on radio together is always a bit like when you meet your girlfriend. Yes. Yes. And you have so much to say. You have to talk really, really quickly because we have so much to say. Like your your listeners will be the same. They'll have so many thoughts they want to share with you. And it's lovely because it's it's like a, it is like being with girlfriends that, that can just chat. It is indeed. You are so right. That's exactly how this is. And I look forward to talking to you. I really do. Now, Parliament wants to take control of the Brexit process. And uh, oh. so what what can we expect? What can we expect? Isn't something <laughs> going to happen today? Uh, isn't, uh, she, oh. oh, my Lord. I tell you, in the UK, what you can expect, you can expect, <laughs> I don't know, the woolly mammoth to come back to life. You can expect dinosaurs on the high street. You can expect, I mean, the range is so vast. We can expect the prime minister to issue another statement today is what she's supposed to be doing. That statement will not be helpful in any regard. At the moment, we have an extension so that the Brexit date we're supposed to leave on the 29th of March has now been put back to the 12th of April. Um, there is massive um, uh, sort of there is a sense that her deal, such as it is, it's a dreadful deal. It's more or less staying in the EU, uh, will not pass in Parliament. And there's a sense that by the end of certainly this week, she may well have resigned. Um, there could be a general election, basically. If you took a, a box of children's toys and threw them in the air, that's about as much as we know at the moment of where those toys are going to land. They're currently just being thrown up, and we, none of us have any clue, and anyone who tries to tell you otherwise is lying, about what's going on. But what we can definitely say is, you know, half the country want to leave and, and voted leave and won a democratic election to leave, and another half want to remain and are determined to remain. So the, the UK is 
is cloven in two. You know, it is the most divided I have ever known the country that I used to call home. Well, you know, and that's a shame, too. It really is. It's been interesting to watch over here. Um, she's supposed to talk to the cabinet or did this morning because I, I'm, you guys are six hours ahead of us. Uh, over the weekend, they said a lot of newspapers were filled with reports about the ministers plotting to unseat her. Uh, yes. Do you think yes. that's a possibility? There was a coup. So uh, a group of cabinet members plotted to overthrow Theresa May. Um, there was a a really peculiar gentleman put forward to be a temporary leader, uh, a sort of a grey individual that is unrecognisable and whose name you would never remember, a sort of magnolia man. Um, Mm. But that too didn't work. So she's managed to hang on yet again to her position. She really is the one-armed burglar dangling off a window ledge, you know, with an itchy thigh. She is literally gripping on with her her fingernails. Um, But we really just don't know what's going to happen. But Of course, the EU is frustrated by us as well because this has become very messy and protracted. And meanwhile, we just had elections in the Netherlands and the new populist party there, the the Gert Wilders 2.0, someone young and better looking with great hair, did spectacularly well. And the EU is very uncomfortable with the fact that the populists are surging from Italy you know, to Holland, to the Netherlands, right across the, the rest of Europe. And we're expecting in the European elections, which happen on the 29th of May, to see a massive uh, uptick for the populace in the European Parliament. So that's going on behind the scenes, and that's very exciting. That is very exciting. You know, one of the other things, I had read something about uh, the U.K. and Ireland, and they want to avoid a, a hard border uh, in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Can you explain to our audience what, what that's all about and your opinion on that? Sure, sure. So if you think of Ireland as a, I don't know, as a pizza, we kind of cut it in half. There's Northern Ireland, and that, I'm using this inverted commas, belongs uh, to the British. It's part of the British Isles, Northern Ireland. And then there's Southern Ireland, which currently remains and is part of the EU. Now, before, when we were also part of the EU, clearly there was no need for any further division than there already is between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, because we were all members of the EU. But let's imagine now that Britain says, right, we're leaving the EU. Now, suddenly in Ireland, the pizza of Ireland, you've got half the pizza which would be in the EU, half the pizza which would have left the EU, and therefore some sort of division down the middle would be required. And, of course, the reason that that's emotionally and um, strategically and, you know, from a security perspective, massively significant is that the history of Ireland and Northern Ireland is, of course, one of division. The fighting over that border between Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland before the peace process happened, Good Friday Agreement, you know, we had the IRA, we had Catholics, against Protestants, killings on the mainland. You know, we had attacks from the IRA all the time. There's a fear that the division caused by us leaving the EU and then the rest not would kind of rekindle the old terrorist divisions of our past. And actually, recently, we saw the IRA. Well, allegedly, the IRA were responsible for parcel packages sent to various universities and public establishments on the mainland UK. So that's the fear, is that we're rekindling old tensions by our wish to leave the EU. Mm. Well, you talk about borders, uh, Mexico, and you're, you're visiting our border um, eventually. <laughs> uh, 
right now, uh, there's a caravan of some 1,200 migrants from Central America and Cuba that have started moving towards our border uh, from southern Mexico over the weekend. So, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about our border, you know, the left and the media would have you believe that those who support a border wall and border security would, uh, are, are people that are concerned about the color of someone's skin. That's not it at all. We have no. an epidemic here, a drug epidemic. We've got drugs coming in. We've got weapons coming in. We've got sex trafficking. When you're on the border, they will probably show you the rape trees where women who are trying to make it across the border have been raped repeatedly. And uh, what what's done is they, they put their underwear up on the tree. It's almost like a notch on a belt. Uh, I mean, we've got some real problems here because we have a porous border. It has nothing to do with the color of anyone's skin. I think that's precisely it. And you were kind enough to mention um, Homelands earlier, my new documentary yes. just finished, which, which is about, and this links to the point you're making, um, which it's about um, the search for a new place to call home. You know, there is a silent exodus underway in Europe where Jews are forced out of Paris uh, by threats and fear, and Christians in Britain, families just like mine, are looking eastward to Hungary, to Poland, because we need to feel like we belong. And one of the main things that came out of this, of all the people I spoke to, it never came down specifically to race or color. Never. It always came down to wanting to protect your family, your children, wanting your children to be safe, and wanting to feel like you belong. And this, the thing about borders is much less, I think, about keeping people out nowadays, actually. I think it's about keeping the people we love safe inside. And yes. I spoke to a, a Swedish firefighter who was building a new, bigger wall around his fire station. It's the toughest fire station in Sweden in some of the most difficult areas. He was also incredibly good-looking, Rose, but that's the size <laughs> bar. I just had to stay longer to talk to him for that reason. But he said, I was like, what is this fence about? And clearly, they're, you know, they're attacking the fire engines, they're stealing equipment, they're, they're slashing the tires. And he said, that we will build walls and borders not to keep people out, but to keep the people we love safe inside. And I think that's a perfect analogy yes. for the border, uh, your border as well. And that's as an outsider, and I appreciate my ignorance as a foreigner. But I believe that's true. Americans aren't about hating others. They're about loving their family, their land, you know, their God. That That's the, the, the intrinsic spirit, I think, of your country. And I think that's why borders matter in America. Well, clearly, Katie, you look around and, and, and you can do this while you're here. And I'm sure you have in the past. You look around and we are a melting pot. We continue to be. There are people of all colors, all, all religions. Um, all ethnic backgrounds, and because we have ports of entry where we allow people to come through the right way, the legal way, and uh, and we, and there are no restrictions on the color of your skin or the faith that you practice or your ethnic background. There are no restrictions as long as you come through those ports of entry and do it the legal way, like the rest of us have done. I mean, I'm only second generation here, so you know, do it that way, and we have we have no problem with it. And all you need to do is look around you and to see that we have never had a problem with the color of your skin, mm, that, your faith, so or your ethnic background. It's so true. I, and it, it's something that gets lost. You know, I think it's a deliberate tool used by the media. You know, they call them undocumented or um, it's not unusual. What's the other word that's used um, uh, to describe illegals? Um, um, so they have undocumented. There's another word. I'll, 
And it's something like, I can't I'll find think it of in it. a minute in my head. Okay. I know your listeners are shouting at their Yeah, radio. they probably are. <laughs> I know, bless you all. I can't hear you, but I know you know the answer, which makes you smarter than me. But essentially, you know, undocumented. So use these words to sort of trick us because, in fact, and in, in, true in Hungary and Poland, the same, where they have had no terror, terrorist attacks whatsoever. They are the safest countries in Europe to be a woman, a female in Europe. And the reason is because they do not allow one single illegal migrant into their country. They welcome people. They welcome everyone to come, but they are absolutely resolute and rigid that you will come through the proper channel. And, and that's what we need to keep reminding ourselves, our people, the people we chat to, people are welcome to come, but through the proper channel. And, and it's that sort of fog that the mainstream media kind of add to people's minds to make us feel like we're all trying to push everyone out. We're not. We want people to come, but we just want them to come through the normal means. And I think that's really important that we all remind ourselves of that. Yes, of course. Now, real quick, we have like three minutes left here, and I do want to get to this. When I was looking at your documentary, the uh, Homelands documentary, Uh, um, one of the things I saw in there that really just broke my heart and I can see that it's happening oh. in our in, in the leadership here in the Democratic Party too and it concerns me is the Jews you, you talked about the Jews being forced out yeah. of their out of Paris yeah. and other places my heart broke are we really here again are we really here oh, again yeah. where the the anti-semitism is on the rise and that concerns me greatly oh, I know it just and it makes you know just now my little hairs on my arms I just stand on end immediately because the couple, um, you know, in the in the trailer that we have for home, Homelands, you know, this lovely couple, I don't know, them, 50, 55, 60, academics, brilliantly qualified, educated Jewish individuals, have escaped, and that's the word they use, to Israel. They've even bought another home, a second home, for their daughter because they are begging, imploring her to get out of Paris with their grandchildren oh. because they fear for them. And the quote that they used, you know, this lovely couple facing me on a sofa, it just set me off any time was um, that the pessimists now live in, they're talking about Jewish individuals in the past, Jewish families from Paris, historically. Pessimists now live in L.A. with a pool. The optimists went to Auschwitz. And their, their, wow. their last line to me was, you know, don't wait. Don't leave it too late. And another gentleman, a brilliant journalist out there, Doron, um, who happens to be seven foot six and made me feel like an absolute tiny woman. <laughs> but um, he, yeah, I was like, you have to be so tall. You make me look obscenely small. Um, he said, you know, treat every day like September the 1st, 1939. And that's Jewish people Perfect. now imploring Perfect. their children to get out of Europe. That's where we're at. And, and I think it's, history well, does repeat I, itself. I encourage everyone to go to rebelworld.co.uk. Real quick, I want to say this, because a good friend would say this to a good friend in a conversation. You must tell me the next time you're coming to the States so that I can arrange to have you here. I thought we already made that very clear in the past. <laughs> you're so sweet. I don't like to... I'm terribly British no. about these things, and I don't like to impose on anyone. You would not be. Listen, well, I have plans back. for us. You are coming. We're going to go to, we're going to have an event here in, in Pittsburgh with you. We'll go, maybe we'll oh take goodness. a trip up to New York real quick and uh, okay. and I'll introduce I, you to I some people. 
I'm in New York in a month's time, so I will send your what? lovely producer, Greg, you, who I adore. And he's he wonderful. Yeah, but he needs to be my husband number three. Oh. And um, I will send him my date. <laughs> you got it. We love you, Katie. God bless you. Uh, safe travels oh, in this country. You. And uh, report back to us everything that you learn. We'll have you back on afterwards. Bless you. All right, Okay, babe. God Thank bless you. you and all your lovely listeners. Thank you, darling. Bye-bye now. Welcome back to the show. It was such a good show. All right, listen, um, tomorrow's going to be a great show, too. We've got Stephen Moore on with a nice announcement to make. And also, who else do I have? John Nolte. I love him. He's so much fun. So we'll have those guys on tomorrow. And uh, we're hoping to get Greg Jarrett on the, uh, later in the week. Don't forget, check us out on social media, at Rose underscore Unplugged on Twitter and uh, Facebook, Rose Unplugged. And my website is roseunplugged.com. All right, so guys, all right, tomorrow's going to be another great show. You know it. I know it. We'll just confirm it tomorrow. <laughs>